From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Basketball tipped off in explosive fashion this week with an eye-popping offensive showcase across the board, led by the spectacular debut of grad transfer Igor Kulichov. We'll dig into the debut of hoops in a few minutes with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But first, we have an exclusive interview with interim head coach Randy Shannon. Now roughly three weeks into his interim tenure, Coach Shannon took some time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about this difficult run and began by addressing the biggest challenges he's faced to this point. Changing the mindset, you know, when you lose a coach that's been with you for, you know, these most of these guys for two and a half, three years, it's a little like, you know, down at that particular time. So we got to rejuvenate the guys' mind, rejuvenate them physically and mentally because it's stress. So the, mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing we have to do is change the stress factor and think about Florida. You know, think about what you've lost. Look, think about what you've gained. You've gained a, a family. You've gained a, a tradition. You've gained a brand that will help you go a long ways in life, more than just at this particular time. And those guys really bought into it. We didn't play well, you know, against Missouri. Then we bounced back in South Carolina. Had a chance late in the game to win the game, but the two-minute drill didn't come the way we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So now we're kind of taking that next step. We're back home. We're off the road. And uh, opportunity to pay the fans, family, Gator brand, and alumnus. Something that's special for these guys. What was that tangible difference that you saw from Missouri to South Carolina? Where did you see those changes the most in terms of the mindset? The practice. The practice and the, the, the accountability of being on time, being early. Everybody's communicating on the same page. One agenda is just to win the game, not the self-accolades of, of me being invited to the senior bowl. We had Johnny mm-hmm. Townsend and uh, Duke Dawson invited to the senior bowl. That wasn't big for Duke and Johnny. The biggest thing was coming back and winning this game against South Carolina. So those things are really big, and you can see the change in things was going on. Talking about practice and some of the changes you've made, you said from your first press conference, here's some things we're going to do differently. We're going to, the media is going to come in a little bit. We're going to do drills a little differently. Can you talk about just putting your own spin on the way things were when you took over here? How, how you changed? It's just a spin because it's late in the season. Mm-hmm. Right, right in the particular time late in the season, you got to work on your little fundamentals. So you get to add more fundamental time. Uh, the only thing we did a lot different, add a little bit of music, but then we <laughs> cut the reps down because of the injuries we have right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, really, really making you perform like an NFL team. You know, you don't have the 85 guys on your roster. Right right now, at the particular time, I think we're down to maybe between 51 and 56 players on scholarship mm-hmm. that can play in the game. So those things are kind of tough. But you manage it, and uh, we told these guys, it's, it's a reason why you come here because you want to be a part of something that was a challenge, and Florida is a place that's going to challenge you. With so few guys and, and the numbers that have dropped – how difficult has it become just to put together your depth chart and to have enough quality depth to make sure on game day that you know you go deep enough at, at certain positions? We have to practice the right way, to be honest with you. We have to make sure that we're getting the reps in, the hard quality reps and, and the physical part of it, but also you can't overdo it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like at the offensive line, we're managing seven guys. One guy have to play left and right tackle. Uh, one inside guy have to play guard and center. So we manage in that position. We manage in the linebacker position all year long. We kind of round robin in like three or four guys. The safety position is is 
been banged up a little bit. So mm-hmm. we're managing those guys. You just manage it to get to the game. The guys can play full speed. And uh, if we're able to, like, we always say steal some plays. If we're able to steal maybe eight plays from a, a young man that's not usually playing in the game, but that's taking eight plays off of another guy who's usually playing 40 instead of playing mm-hmm. 60. So those things that you're trying to get done and uh, make guys play full speed and, you know, play at a high level. Challenging times can bring out the best in people. Sometimes it forces them to. Which players have you been particularly impressed with in terms of guys who've stepped up and embraced such a, a huge challenge? You know, the senior class has really stepped up. Usually when you have seniors on a the team, they can tank it. You take Duke Dawson, Johnny Townsend, B. Powell. Um, you just take all those guys and you look at those guys still performing at a high level. You know, most of those guys have opportunities to go to the next level or get a, a bowl bid or mm-hmm. something like that. And they just like, well, I'm not going to get hurt. These guys not. They, You know, B. Powell and, and Duke are now playing more special teams they did early in the year because of the numbers, and they wanted to do it. I mm-hmm. mean, Mark Thompson, a young man that's been a running back, but now he's want to be on kickoff return. He's Everybody's trying to help the team right. because they know what's the limitations of what we have right now, and uh, that makes you, you feel good about these guys on this football team, these seniors. You talked about, I mean, there's, there's a tendency sometimes to tank it when things aren't going well. How have you kept guys motivated? I mean, given your situation right now and where you guys are, what are they playing for? They're playing for the reason why they came to Florida to represent the University of Florida and represent represent themselves. Each and every time you have a chance to go out and do anything in life, it, it's you. Mm-hmm. And uh, no matter if it's football, if it's life, if it's a job, anything that you do, you got to make sure that you represent who you are as a person. And uh, I asked them guys, what are their language? And they looked at me like, well, what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, well, Nike has a language. Just do it. Right. I think Microsoft, Apple has a language, or Microsoft one has a Think different. Think different. Yeah. So when you have those things and you ask those guys, they really don't understand it. But then I say, why you came to Florida? Mm-hmm. And then I said, that's your language. So, you know, they understand those things. David Reese made a lot of headlines with his comments after the Missouri game. What was the reaction internally to that? How did guys respond to being challenged really by one of the, the younger guys on the team? Felt good about it. To be honest, with you. it made everybody come together and it felt good about it because we, we don't have a lot of seniors. I mean, mm-hmm. our seniors were really loaded. But then all of a sudden, we had Marcel, great team leader. He was going to be the leader of this team, mm-hmm. not just defensive, the whole team. He's out. Then you have Nick Washington, great leader. Mm-hmm. He's out. Then the next guy goes out is Jordan Sherrod. He's out. So you're losing three big-time leaders on this football team that everybody looked up to, a guy who's been here you know, four to five years. And sure. everybody can look up to those guys because those guys made plays. They was great people and community people uh, and and – when you don't have those guys around, who's your next guys? And then you look at your, your chart, you start looking at you got two freshman cornerbacks, and you're like, ooh, okay, well, you got BP on offense, but then you got a freshman, a newcomer at quarterback. You know, where is this mm. this going to come from? Well, Reese was the next best guy. I guess from the team standpoint, he was the guy, well, I need to step up because really I'm the only one who played. Right. And so, you know, he took that challenge and took it upon himself, and he's playing at a high level. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was like seventh or eighth in the league in SEC for tackles. I mean, that's big for a true Southmore. So it's a lot of positive here, a lot of positive things for this university, a lot of positives for this team. Uh, the future is going to be really bright here, and uh, it's going to be something that everybody's going to be proud of. You talked about motivation and where that comes from. Where does the confidence come from when things aren't going well, and how do you give them confidence when the wins are not there? Confidence within yourself. You know, believe that you're a confident person. Uh, I tell them like this story. 
you may have somebody in your life and everybody may say it's genetics. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. heart failure is genetics. Well, it's part of your family. Great, great, great uncle, whatever, your uncle, your, everybody in your family on the male side has heart failure. Well, you can accept that or what you're going to do about it. You do something about it by eating right, exercising, getting the proper treatment, taking care of your body, getting the proper rest. Mm-hmm. Now, in this sport of football, you can accept that everybody say you guys not any good or do something about it. So that was the motivation. What are we going to do about it to get to that where we need to get back to? You talked about the future being bright. And during a time like this, so many fans are thinking about recruiting. They're worried about the class that they think is going to be special and the guys they've been you know, watching play on YouTube. What have been the communications like with recruits? And what do you say to them? What do you and your staff say to these guys when there is so much uncertainty? You, you talk about the program. It's not the individual coaches on this football team. It's the program. It's, it's the Gator brand. It's the Gator logo and uh like i always ask guys well why you like florida oh the swag well what is swag (laughs) swag is winning Mm -hmm. swag is seeing that gator head around the country those are things that that makes this program and there's been a lot of recruits that we have that are still if you notice are committed to us Mm -hmm. we haven't lost commitments because they want to be a part of this brand they want to be a part of this university and this family atmosphere The, the one thing i will say being here for these two and a half three years is that this community this school embraces the student athlete they embraces to try to give them every which way known possible to have a great experience here and understand that your family is here it's not just students it's a family student Mm -hmm. speaking of family that's something a lot of people forget in the the process of this crazy business that is college football that especially you guys the coaches the staff you guys have families that are in a state of flux when something like this happens so can you talk about the family side for you and your staff and how you get through this uncertain time when, when your futures are hanging in the balance as well. It's not an uncertain time. It's part of coaching. I mean, that's the one thing. That's part of coaching. The one thing is coaches don't do, you don't take work home. Mm-hmm. Home is home. Work is work, and you'll be okay. So that, that's it? That's <laughs> it. Don't take work home, and everybody's fine. I mean, because you have to enjoy your family. You can't take work home. And uh, every coach in this, pan- in this profession has been successful. They leave work at work. They never take it home. Is that something that you've learned from all of your time doing this? Is it something that maybe younger guys on staff would struggle with? Yes, because you don't, they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times that you have to make sure everybody understands the biggest thing is uh, once you leave work, you can't take work home because now you're losing out opportunities to be with your kids, losing opportunity to be with your wife. You're losing out opportunity to just enjoy life. Uh, if you take work home, all of a sudden you don't have that time to spend with your kids, all that quality time to spend with your wife. And uh, when you when you get in this profession, you got to understand that real quick. About ten years ago, you were the head coach for Miami in the swamp, coaching against the Gators. And now, come up this weekend, you're going to be the head coach of the Gators for the first time in the swamp. Does the irony of that dawn on you at all? No, no not no. not at all. No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. Not not one bit. It, it's you know I'm representing this university right now, and uh, our biggest focus to win this game this week, and we're excited about it. It's good to be back home. I mean, there's no place mm-hmm. like home. And these guys on this football team can't wait to get back in the stadium. Tell us a little about this UAB game, just expectations, what they bring to the table as a program that didn't exist recently, and now they're back and playing pretty well. Well, it's a team that we have to go play. I mean, he's 7-3. and three. Uh, I think they're second in the conference, and they're very explosive on offense, and they're doing a great job on turnover margin. Uh, we got to continually to score points in the red zone. We got to, we got to score points in the red zone, and we've been listening out the last couple of weeks on the red zone. Defensively, we got to stop creating – giving up big plays. 
got to keep creating turnovers but stop giving up big plays. And uh, we'll be fine this weekend. I mean, we really, really feel confident that the game plan we have and the things we're going to do is going to be really great and going to be really special for us. You got Felipe back as the starting quarterback. He's been through such trials and tribulations with the adversity of this season. What do you think this does for him long-term? Do you think this could be a good thing, the amount of adversity he's had to battle through throughout this year? I don't think you call it adversity. No? No, you don't. I think you call it is competitive. You know, every time that you wake up, you have to be competitive. You have to be on top of your game. No matter football, basketball, your regular job. If I have a job that's 9 to 5 and I go to work and I'm not holding up my standards, I probably won't be at my job very long. <laughs> so I think it's the one thing that, that football always brings to me is the competitive edge and always keep you on your toes. Uh, Felipe will, will have an opportunity this week to come back. Uh, he's the only quarterback we have right now on this <laughs> roster besides Contarius Tony and uh, Malik is day by day. But we, we're excited and we're going to coach him like he's a first-round pick. We're going to have him to direct this offense like he's a first-round pick and, and do those type of things. couple last things for you. Uh, there's so much debate right now about the college football playoff. And I know you, you guys, you eating your fox, so you're not looking at that. But I'm curious just for your perspective as someone who's been around the game for a very long time, if four teams get to be in it, what do you think the criteria should be? Should you have to be a conference champion? Should it be the eye test? If you were making those decisions, what would be your resume for getting into the college football playoff? Best four teams playing at that particular time. You don't have to be conference champion. The best four teams. You know, most of the times you say, okay, who's the undefeated teams? When I first when I first got in coaches, mm-hmm. who was undefeated, you play for the championship. So you take that criteria, then you look at, okay, who have they been playing? And then you take the next step, and then you go – the one loss teams, you know, it's, it's a criteria. I think they're doing a great job with it. And I know a lot of guys are on that committee mm-hmm. uh, and they're doing a great job of it. It's no rhyme, no reason why it's just, that's the way the criteria is. You can't base it on just because it's the sec or the big 12 or conference. You you can't base it on those things. Mm-hmm. Who's actually playing good at that particular time. Those are the best teams. This is your second head coaching job a very different head coaching job than your first. How much have you taken from what you did at Miami and, and tried to bring here? Or is it different because of the, the short time span to try and put your imprint on it? Times have changed. You know, times have changed since I was a head coach at Miami. Things I do differently I've never done at Miami. Being able to adjust and uh, be with these guys on this football team, keep these guys in tune academically, and uh, also on this football field has, has been really a a breath of fresh air because you are trying to do everything you can to make sure they understand the big picture. It's not now. It's a year from now, 10 years from now, five years from now. Build what you have in your character now, and then that'll carry a long ways. Final thing for you, Thanksgiving's coming up next week in addition to a huge game against Florida State. But before that is Thanksgiving, give me like top three things on the Thanksgiving buffet. Like what, What's the most important criteria for you when you're putting <laughs> together your Thanksgiving plate? Uh, you always have turkey dressing. Okay. Gravy. Mashed potatoes. We're going we're going basics. Going basics. Anything out of left field that you're gonna want that other people wouldn't think about putting on their plate. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. what I would eat, I would probably eat some uh stewed red snapper. Interesting. I'm a seafood guy. Okay. Really big seafood guy. Stone crabs. I'll take those type of things on Thanksgiving if I could. So is that does that mean that's happening or is this just is <laughs> no, this no. just putting this out in the world and maybe it comes back to you? Putting it out in the world. Okay. It's not happening with me. Okay. I'm making order some stone crabs. Okay. That's about all. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you. Appreciate it. Throughout the offseason, the legend of Igor Kulichov grew more and more with reports of him setting the nets on fire in the practice gym. 
Gator Nation finally got to see the highly touted transfer on Monday night, and he didn't disappoint, putting up a record-setting performance that electrified the home crowd. In a wide-ranging chat that also includes the latest news on football and volleyball, we began our sit-down with Chris Harry and Scott Carter by breaking down the phenomenal debut for Gator basketball. What I thought was pretty amazing is uh, the team sets a school record for opening day scoring in this 116-74 defeat of Gardner-Webb. Kayvon Allen, who is your uh, preseason Naismith candidate for National Player of the Year, he scores nine points. That's because Igor Kolachev goes for 34, 23 in the first half. Um, he put on just a, a shooting display, the likes of which I hadn't seen from a player on this team since Michael Frazier made 11 three-pointers in South Carolina. It was the most points um, in this building in a long time. I bet maybe since Joe Kim Noah hung 37 on Georgia, hmm. I would think, in 2006. I mean, the guy is an incredibly uh, quick trigger. Um, he can shoot in transition. Uh, he can spot. He's really smart. He knows how to find the open spacing in the floor. And just to foreshadow the whole thing, Adam, I mean, this is on tape now. So the opponents now know that this guy can score from anywhere on the three-point perimeter. All that's going to do is open up space. And if you keep watching the tape, you saw Jalen Hudson do do some pretty good things. He was 3 of 5 from three-point range. Easily could have been him who had a game like that. And mm-hmm. Jalen Hudson will have a game like that. Uh, Kayvon Allen will have a game like that this year. Um, Florida will be able to score with anybody. But Mike White was brought up his defense after the game, kind of maybe uh, fell off a little bit in the second half when some backups uh, kind of mm-hmm. dominated the game toward the end. But uh, it was quite the debut and the best performance by a uh, player in his first game in a Florida uniform uh, since Tom Baxley scored, I believe the number was 34 points in 1962. So that's 55 years. So hats off to uh, the Russian Gusta or Thrigor or Russian Rocket, whatever the hell we want to call it. Or Digor if Mike White has his (laughs) That's that's fine too. (laughs) And if you talk to Igor, he'll he'll be the first to tell you he came here from a a Rice program that didn't have a lot of um, success. You know, his best season was a CBI season. Wow. He obviously was a... uh, first-team all-conference USA player, but he came here to be a part of something special, a lot like Canyon Berry did last year, to make an NCAA tournament run, to be on a team to compete for championships. And the, you know, the early returns are what they are. Gardner-Webb is an okay team in the Big South Conference, probably a middling team, maybe even a, a team that can play, that compete for a title in that league. But um, for a first time out, that was a pretty phenomenal showing. I think it was a much-needed uh, boost for Gator fans right now, more than anything, you know. It was funny, uh, as the game was going on, uh, you could tell the excitement there on social media started, and it kind of grew and grew, and mm. I threw a football tweet out in the middle of it, and I got a few uh, sharp responses back, so <laughs> I just stuck with Igor for the rest of the night, uh, but I do think uh, it's just a lot of what Chris said in terms of uh, his performance, uh, you don't see a guy look that comfortable uh, in his first game in front of the home crowd very often, and it was an electrifying performance, and the the crowd really got into it. And he's played one game here, and it already feels like he's a little <laughs> little bit of a cult hero. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think he's going to fit in very nicely with this team. But 116 points—that's a lot of points uh, any night. Uh, your first game, I I thought it was interesting. The Gardner Webb coach said in his 17 years—that's the fastest he's ever seen a team in transition. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's pretty. Uh, Pretty nice compliment to have, although it is the first game of the year, and uh, I think this team will probably uh, look different, you know, in a couple months than it is now. They're going to face a lot tougher competition, but as opening acts go, pretty good one for Igor and the Gators. 
obviously Igor stole the headlines, and and your headline, by the way, Russian collusion, phenomenal, <laughs> well, phenomenal headline. <laughs> Uh, confirmed great, Russian collusion. Great, great headline. But there were lots of other newcomers that impressed as well, and even some of the Freshmen, Johnson, Okoro. I mean, there's a lot of players let's, other than Igor let's that say DeAndre like, Ballard. Also, yeah, yeah, the that, freshman that are going to help this team really be as fast as Scott was just talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those guys, their roles will be defined as the season gets deeper, and some of those guys won't be out on the court for 20 or 22 minutes. But DeAndre Ballard is a, a skilled uh, basketball player on the offensive end. He's still learning a lot of things on defense like some of these other guys are. Chase Johnson was sidelined for almost two weeks with a concussion. Um, Michael Okoru, the backup point guard, or I'd say third point guard with Kayvon Allen being the backup point guard for now. Uh, he is really surprised with his ability to put the ball in the basket. The last two uh, scrimmages, the one in Jacksonville, the one in Tampa, he, he showed some offense that we don't really see in practice, to be honest with you. A lot mm-hmm. of those shots that are going in in games are, are misses in practice, sometimes air balls. So I was look, I sit down there by the bench, I look over at the bench sometimes, and they're like, whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> but uh, he's a guy who, who has surprised a little bit but again the um how much these guys are going to play, where the rotational minutes are, um, is something that'll play out. I, I remember Billy Donovan had the greatest, uh, one of the great exercises he did before a season started. He would ask the team, put write down how many minutes and how many points a game you think you're going to score. Mm-hmm. Write it down, and they would put it in all in a hat. And there's 200 minutes in a game, right? And chances are, if you if you play well, you're going to score what 85 points. Well, invariably, people would answer to totals that would total like 320 minutes right. and 150 <laughs> points a game. The That's not work. what happens, okay? Time is going to be cut back for some guys. Defense will play a factor in how much time a guy is on the floor. But uh, if you want to say, uh, Dante Bassett, a guy I didn't mention, he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a guy who sat out all last season as a, as a redshirt after breaking his foot early in practice. You know, He got in there and mixed it up a little bit. So these are guys that are going to play more in seasons down the line. Uh, where they are, I don't know right now, but a guy like DeAndre Ballard is certainly camera ready to score right now. Mm-hmm. Michael Okora has done nothing to show that he can't compete right now. As they play tougher teams, maybe we'll see a little bit more from those guys, obviously, relative to where they're going to be in that rotation down the line. And with the players that... Florida just signed last week. I mean, it doesn't look like there's any signs of slowing down. We're in year three with Mike White. He's establishing his own identity. He's bringing in his own players and really highly touted players. So it seems like I mean, that transition, in a lot of ways, is nearly complete. He got his first five-star uh, signee in Andrew Nemhard from Montverde by way of Canada. Probably a let's say six three six almost six four guard. Really really nice passer. I've seen a little bit of tape of him in the coach's office. Another guy Noah Locke, a shooter from Maryland. Um, some are saying I've read some stuff saying he could be the best shooter in in the entire recruiting class. Wow. So uh, you know like a, a Michael Frazier kind of guy mm. like that. Um, Was then, he from Montverde as well? Noah Block. Or who who else is from who else is from Montverde? Michael Fra- Michael Frazier played his final season of high school at Montverde after thought, coming I, I from Tampa heard Plant. That. Okay. Actually, actually, my daughter went to Plant. Actually, saw him play in high school. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, Keontae Johnson was a guy who they added uh, uh, toward the end of the of the early signing period. A defensive kind of guy, a six five wing, very athletic, forty one inch vertical jump. So th- this could very well be a top ten, top twelve recruiting class. You know, he doesn't have the, the mega stars and McDonald's All-Americans and stuff like that. But you know what he does have, Adam? He has guys that are going to be here and get better. 
guys that are going to develop. And isn't that what college basketball is? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Gorjak Gak, you're going to see flashes from him this year that you didn't see last year. He is a four-year player, okay? Guys like that that are come here – improve, get into the culture, and by the time they're seniors, they're going to be really, really good players. Uh, Kavarius Hayes is a guy who's pretty decent player when he got here. He's going to be a much better player than he was before. Mm-hmm. Kayvon Allen is going to be a much better player than he was last year. That's what happens when you get in the program and you just move along with the system, get the individual instruction in the off season and what have you, and develop and grow as a basketball team together. The next time we talk, Florida will have wrapped up this opening salvo of three games here. And obviously, the competition level for these first three home games, not one that's going to challenge Florida significantly. So I'll ask you, once this stretch is done here, what is Mike White hoping to get out of this opening three-game homestand when all is said and done? Well, he hopes he's established a base, like I spoke a little bit about, where these guys are defensively. And it's in great competition they're playing right now, given they're going to have uh, uh, North Florida on Thursday and a game against New Hampshire on Sunday. It's, that, that's not the great competition. The, the next wave is next week when they go to PK-80, the uh, tournament in Portland, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving tournament. They got Stanford on Thanksgiving Day. The next night they'll play either Gonzaga or Ohio State. And they could very well, if they win those two games, play Duke in a Sunday uh, championship uh, game in that particular bracket. It's a phenomenal stocked tournament of, of teams under Nike contracts. I think on the other side you got you got North Carolina and Oklahoma and it's it's a great tournament. But whatever they're getting out of these three games before they go there, it's kind of laying a base mm-hmm. because Mike White will tell them it's next level now. Um, this isn't good enough or this is a good start, but you're gonna have to go to the next step to be able to guard teams like like Gonzaga. Mm. Okay, so uh, um, we'll, we'll know so much more about uh, Florida after that tournament. We'll know more about them after they play Florida State. They play Cincinnati down the line, which is a top-10 team. And, of course, their first game out of the box is against Vanderbilt. And they, all they've done is lo- lose five games to Vanderbilt ever since Mike White got here, including three last year. So um, it's a trend. It's progressing. What we're seeing now, what we're seeing two weeks from now, what we're seeing three weeks from now, even in that beginning, that first SEC game, it's not going to be what it is in January because we haven't even mentioned John Igbunu yet. Sure. Because once John Igbunu comes back, now you have your rim protector, your terrific uh, ball screen post defender, um, and it's going to change their personality at that point too. So this is going to be an evolving process and whatever – Hopefully nobody gets hurt along the line, but whatever Florida is now isn't going to be anything what they are come February. So basketball obviously is in great shape right now. Football, we know things are not great. And it was another tough game against South Carolina. And, and I know sometimes it seems like you know we're, we're searching for things here, but there really was a notable difference between the first game under Randy Shannon and this, the second game. I thought that, that Florida played a lot harder. I think you saw that competition come back. I don't know if it was because of David Reese or maybe something internally, but they had a little more fire. Not quite enough to win, but certainly play with more heart. The fog seemed to lift over the program up in the South Carolina. Obviously, uh, they had some more time to absorb the loss of head coach Jim McElwain. Another week under Randy Shannon's direction. 28-20 loss, but the Gators did have a chance there. With the ball under four minutes left, uh, it's a one-possession game. If they can go down and score and get a, a two-point conversion, it's a tie. But, you know, you got an interception there. And, it, you know, it was kind of unfortunate for them because they actually worked a lot during the week on the on the uh, two-minute offense. And, uh, you know, Felipe Franks had a ball tipped at the line of scrimmage. South Carolina picked it off, and that's the ball game. Uh, fifth straight loss for the Gators. Uh, obviously, it's a team that's coming back to uh, the swamp. A lot has happened since it last yeah. played there. So it's going to be an interesting atmosphere just to see 
what kind of reception they get. It's against the program UAB that has uh, surpassed all expectations. You, you know, I wrote a little story today. It's like if the Gators want any, if they want a poster team about how quickly you can turn around your fortunes, uh, well, they're playing it this weekend, UAB. Hmm. This is a team that wasn't even in existence the last couple of years yeah. as far as playing. Here they are, 7-3. and three. They can win their eighth game. They've beaten Louisiana Tech, Southern Miss, Rice. Over this uh, last five out of six, they're playing really good football. Bill Clark, their head coach, is getting mentioned as potential national coach of the year. So it can be done in today's college football world where you can turn around a program quickly. And that's really what the Gators are facing. But right now, they're just trying to turn around their season. Uh, they're three and six, lost five in a row. They have UAB, Florida State coming in the next two weeks. And these guys need a win. They just need something to uh, get off the skid and feel like what it's like to win again because sure. it's been since September 30th. And I think that's really the goal at this point. It's a simple goal. <laughs> they need to win a game, Adam. I keep going back to to what Scott mentioned. I mean, these, these UAB guys, I mean, they deserve so much credit. To think where these guys were when their program was shut down, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can only imagine that they, however many guys there were in that locker room thinking, you know, what, what the hell is going to happen now with our career? And the coach stayed. The, whatever it was, the boosters, the people rallied around this program to keep it, um, shut it down for two years. The coach stayed around. They went to a bowl game that year. Now they didn't play for two seasons, and they're going to another bowl game. And, you know, like Scott said, they've, they've beaten some pretty good teams. They're scoring a hell of a lot of points. You look down the line, they're, they're, they score 50 points against Rice. They have a, they have a guy who's, who's rushing for nearly 1,200 yards. So this is their Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got a chance to beat Florida, a uh, wounded Florida team. And I guarantee if I'm Bill Clark, the, the, the coach there, that's, that's how he's pitching this. Let's mm-hmm. go in there and, and, and finish these guys off. They're already, you know, hobbling around. Let's go in and finish guys off. And you mentioned David Reese. The David Reese we saw after the Missouri game call out his teammates, that took a lot of guts because mm-hmm. you don't know how – if you're going to get the stink eye in the locker room sure. from, some, from they something could, They like, could turn on you. Of course, yeah. of course you can. But, I mean – or you can announce yourself as one of the leaders of the team, a guy who's going to be back next year, mm-hmm. and we're going to redirect you know, where this program's headed, that kind of, that kind of statement. And I think he liked how the, how the team responded. Now they're coming home. How are they going to respond to this? They're even further on their heels. Uh, you want some kind of um, – for lack of a better word, you want to salvage some dignity. And you can do it by beating UAB at home, which you're, you're supposed to do. You're Florida. And you get Florida State next week. And that would, you know, maybe you don't go to a bowl game, obviously, but maybe you do beat Florida State and stop the Seminoles' four-game winning streak in the series and at least salvage some kind of a element of respect uh, going out of the season. So it's a big week for the program. But at the same time, it's really difficult down in that football area because – like those UAB guys two years ago, now you got coaches that don't know where they're going to be in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, you got players that don't know who's going to be coaching them. So there's a lot of intangibles involved, but you kind of hope once they run through the tunnel and the swamp and all that stuff, maybe they get a little focused and you know play the game for themselves and for the people in the stands. Yeah, as far as the bowl eligibility goes, it's really interesting if you look at what Florida State has done, rescheduling their Louisiana-Monroe game to try and get bowl eligible the week after they play the Gators. Florida's not doing that with Northern Colorado, but do we understand, is there still a chance Florida goes to a bowl game if they get to five and six and there's some teams, they don't have enough teams to fill the slots? I mean, I think technically it is possible. You finish five and six and you have an APR that's good enough, which Florida does. Mm -hmm. You can get accepted to a bowl with the losing record, but there's no discussion about that possibility here. I think, uh, quite frankly, Scott Strickland, athletic director, has some uh, more important business right now in his hands and trying to uh, 
get the new coach. That is a move that Florida State did do. Uh, and I've been asked that quite a bit on Twitter. Is this something the Gators are looking at doing if they were to win? I, I don't have any indication that that's even in the plans. Uh, Seems like it would be very – I mean, if you're going to do it, you have – Yeah, I mean, you, you it's not it. a game. Okay, you, you can't just, do it in a few days after you beat Florida State potentially. No, you have to uh, be moving on that already. Right. And there's been no discussion. So I think they're at this point they're just looking to finish out these last two games – Try to have some momentum, especially inside the locker room, because a lot of the while the coaching staff's going to be different, some of the support personnel will be different. You know, a lot of these players are going to be back, and it's important for them to just kind of feel good about themselves heading into the off season and into the workouts. And not having a bowl game is a uh, it's a, it's a big thing because you're missing out on those extra practice and stuff. So uh, these last two games are important in that regard too. Just being at your uh, your peak, trying to uh, finish strong. And, and uh, of course, as Chris said, the Florida State game is two programs that are having off seasons, but mm-hmm. that game still matters to these guys. It matters to the fans. It matters to alumni. And quite frankly, it matters on the recruiting trail because the winner of that game will have some some real momentum going into the National Signing Day between those players who are considering both schools. It's amazing to see what Florida's gone through this year, and, and maybe it's best looked at through the prism of Felipe Franks, who is back as the starter this week, due in part to the injury to Malik Zaire. But, I mean, you talk about adversity for an individual. This is, what, the third or fourth different time he's been elevated back to starter after losing the job. This is a lot for a, a redshirt freshman or, or anybody to go through. So if nothing else, and Felipe Franks is really getting tested by this entire process. Yeah, you're right, Adam. Uh, this is a guy that's coming into the year. You know, he had that quarterback battle going all the way back to last spring, and he beats mm-hmm. out Kyle Trask. And then, of course, over the summer, Malik Zare and uh, obviously Luke Del Rio kind of re-enter the picture, and he w- he wins out over those guys in the fall. Uh, and then he starts, you know, what the first few games and gets replaced by Del Rio. Del Rio goes down. He comes back in. Remember. In the last game that they won against Vanderbilt, that was the game that Del Rio got hurt. Mm-hmm. Felipe comes back in, pushes him on to victory, and then, of course, struggles uh, some from there and loses his job to Malik Zaire. And uh, now Malik's hurt, and here's Felipe back in. He comes in last week. Again, I thought he made some throws. He showed off his arm some. Uh, it was a, a perfect performance by any means, 10 out of 25, 174 yards. But it's something that these last two games, if nothing else, it's it's just like if you got to believe that they want to see him continue to progress and just kind of let him go out there and play, mm-hmm. see what this kid can do. Maybe instinctively, uh, you know, if he if he's going through all this this season, this roller coaster ride that he's been on, and he can somehow these last two games kind of just show some kind of presence there that maybe. Uh, they haven't seen. I mean, that's a good sign for the program going forward. And, you know, at this point, Adam, I don't know how the quarterback situation is going to unfold. Obviously, in the spring, there's going to be a, a new coach and a lot of possibilities there. Sure. We know Malik Zaire will not be here, but we know, you know, obviously Franks as of now, Jake Allen, Kyle Trask, Del Rio, doubtful, although he has another year of eligibility. So anyway, you know, you have those four guys on the roster currently. So uh, Felipe Franks has to go into these last two games like I'm going to prove myself and I want to go into spring as a number one guy and he has a chance here with a couple of performances if he can go out there and do it 
one sport that's doing exceedingly well that we have not had a lot of chance to talk about, but we will coming up the next few weeks, is Florida Volleyball looking for their first national title and really making that push right now to get the seeding that they would need to make the ideal run toward a national championship. Yeah, uh, it's about two and a half weeks ago, uh, Kentucky came in when Florida was number one and unbeaten and handed the Gators their first loss of the season in the O-Dome. It was something of a surprise, but Kentucky played a spectacular match that day. But uh, in the seven matches that followed, five of them on the road, Florida only lost two sets. Wow. And they've strung together that winning streak, and they're getting that mojo back. And, yeah, it is very important to Mary Wise. And um, those players, they want to have that number one seed because number one seed means you're at home, and you're at home throughout the tournament. I talked to Mary Wise about this uh, for a story I wrote um, last week. You know, it, it was a time where they – you were home the first two weekends, and then they played the volleyball matches in, at neutral right. sites or whatever. Preset sites. Yeah, and, and since now that now that they moved it back, it's, it's, it's a big chance for Florida to ride the momentum of their home team, of their home crowd, rather, and, uh, and advance to, to that Final Four and maybe get Mary Wise that elusive national championship. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. The Big Ten, I believe, has three of the top four ranked teams in the country, wow. maybe by RPI. So... Florida's got to kind of punch its way in there. You can't rule out Texas. You can't rule out Stanford. But I believe those uh, Big Ten teams, Nebraska or Penn State, Penn State, Nebraska, Minnesota, I believe, um, all powerhouses, and Florida kind of vying with them. But Florida at the same time has played a really uh, an outstanding schedule. Beat Nebraska um, earlier in the season. Beat Texas early in the season to open the season. Um, they had a match against Michigan State that was actually canceled. Michigan State now number eight in the country. Uh, that match was canceled because of the hurricane. Of the hurricane. Yeah. And Mary Wise said to me, she goes, you know, they take injuries into account when they see the tournament. Hopefully they take hurricanes <laughs> in because she goes, there's no, there's no guarantee we would have beat Michigan State, but we did schedule them, and I think they should take that into account. So Florida's hoping what they schedule non-conference-wise will uh, play a factor into the decision to, to seed those. And if the Gators can be at home, say, in the Sweet 16 round or what have you, that'll be quite an advantage to uh, to be able to play an exact arena. Think about it. They didn't play one match here last year. Mm-hmm. And so they, yeah, you're right. yeah, yeah, they, they, they're the only team that plays in there that didn't have a home match during the renovation of the O'Connell Center. So that'd be kind of cool if they were able to do that this season. Let's wrap up with our PAT, which is inspired by the phenomenal debut by Igor Kulichov. You guys have covered a lot of events over a number of years. I'm curious, the most outstanding debut performance that you can remember covering any sport, any decade. I know you guys have a lot of them covered. Anything that pops out to you. I do think when, during my time covering Major League Baseball, one thing about covering a baseball, over the course of a few seasons, you're going to see a lot of Major League debuts. Mm-hmm. The one that really sticks out in my mind with the Rays, and there's a lot of things that go into it besides what he did on the mound, but the Devil Rays had a picture back in the day, Scott Kazmir, mm-hmm. who still is in the major leagues. Uh, he disappeared for a couple of years and came back and resurrected his career. But anyway, in 2004, uh, it was a big deal when the New York Mets and the Rays made a trade, and the Mets sent their top pitching prospect to the Devil Rays, Scott Kazmir. Mm-hmm. And it made huge waves in New York City. Obviously, the tabloids criticizing the Mets. They got a guy named Victor Zambrano uh, in return. And uh, anyway, long story short, two months later, Scott Kazmir makes his major league debut for the Rays. What I remember about it is we were in Seattle. We show up at Safeco Field, and usually there's just myself and the other beat rider and the team's PR guy. On the, we get there, and there's like five spots for New York riders. It was a big story. They came all the way out from New York wow. to Seattle. So you're thinking, this kid's a lot of pressure, you know. 
He goes out against the Mariners, throws five shutout innings, strikes out a few. So it really worked out perfectly for the Rays. I mean, great performance. The Mets fell out of the pennant race that year after the trade. So they got criticized more. <laughs> and, he, you know, he went on to have some great moments with the Rays, but mostly really after the Rays. Uh, uh, he's got over 100 wins in his career now. Maybe not the phenom that all the New York papers thought he was at the time, but he's proven to be a pretty good major league pitcher. And uh, that's that's just one that sticks out. More so, I think, with the New York element and knowing how big baseball is in mm-hmm. New York. And they traded away a, t- a prized prospect. You get All those things factor in. It's just one of those that sticks out in my mind. Uh, but I was also at Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. My first year uh, covering the Gators uh, as a beat writer for the Tampa Tribune was 1990. So I was at Steve Spurrier's first <laughs> game. And um, obviously he had coached before. He would coached Tampa Bay Bandits. He had coached uh, Duke. But the buzz leading up to his first game against Oklahoma State was, um, you know, what it was. Pe- people can remember it. Gator fans listening to this can remember how, how hotly anticipated that was. And it certainly didn't disappoint on this first series. Shane Matthews, a quarterback really nobody heard of except the fact he'd been suspended for uh, betting on college football games the year before with Kyle Morse. Um, he got the start that day. And the Gators accepted or won the cost, took the ball, uh, four plays, 75 yards. Shane Matthews scores a touchdown, 7 nothing on the way to a 50-7 to game. And, of course, we all know, uh, really it's amazing when we think about this. Steve Spurrier was here uh, 12 years. He lost five games at home. Five games at home. Um, so wow. that, was, that was quite a start. I believe uh, the, the next game they went to Alabama and beat the Tide in Tuscaloosa. It was the first time they'd, you know, they'd won their sub believe, since 1963. But uh, Steve Spurrier's debut game, who would have thought, um, however many years it was later, 27 years later, that you know we'd come out and his uh, name would be on the stadium. But um, rightfully so, if I had to think, it'd be that or, I don't know, maybe Sandy Koufax's first game or something like that when I went to that. So. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure seeing you in person this week, which uh, I hope we get to do more often. But uh, thank you so much, and encourage everybody to check out everything going on. Chris has got basketball covered at FloridaGators.com and, of course, at Gators Chris. And Scott has got you covered on football at Gators Scott. And who knows, maybe soon there's some news that, that we have to report on a new coach. So stay tuned for that, and I uh, look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Don't forget to catch football in their return to the swamp on Saturday against UAB at 4 on the SEC Network and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode previewing Florida, Florida State, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp. <laughs>